Welcome to ReachMD. This medical industry feature, titled Capsaicin 8% Topical System, an advancement in the treatment of painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy of the feet, is sponsored by Averitas Pharma. This program is intended for physicians, and the information is for general informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for clinical, care pathway, or reimbursement decisions. The speakers have been compensated by Averitas. This presentation is consistent with FDA guidelines and is not eligible for CME credit. Cutenza Capsaicin 8% Topical System is indicated in adults for the treatment of neuropathic pain associated with postherpetic neuralgia, or PHN and for neuropathic pain associated with diabetic peripheral neuropathy, or DPN, of the feet. Do not dispense Cutenza to patients for self-administration or handling. Only physicians or healthcare professionals under the close supervision of a physician are to administer and handle Cutenza. Aerosolization of capsaicin can occur upon rapid removal of Cutenza. Therefore, remove Cutenza gently and slowly by rolling the adhesive side inward. Inhalation of airborne capsaicin can result in coughing or sneezing. Administer Cutenza in a well-ventilated treatment area. Provide supportive medical care if shortness of breath develops. If irritation of airways occurs, remove the affected individual from the vicinity of Cutenza. If respiratory irritation worsens or does not resolve, do not re-expose the affected healthcare professional or patient to Cutenza. If skin not intended to be treated is exposed to Cutenza, apply cleansing gel for one minute and wipe off with dry gauze. After the cleansing gel has been wiped off, wash the area with soap and water. Patients may experience substantial procedural pain and burning upon application and following removal of Cutenza. Prepare to treat acute pain during and following the application procedure with local cooling, such as a cold pack and or appropriate analgesic medication. When administering Cutenza, it is important to follow the procedures in the important dosage and administration instructions in the U.S. prescribing information. Please listen to select safety information at the end of this podcast. And for full important safety information, visit Cutenza.com. Here's your host, Dr. David M. Simpson. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Dr. David M. Simpson, Principal Investigator of the STEP Trial evaluating the efficacy of Cutenza for painful diabetic neuropathy of the feet. Joining me to talk about an advancement in the treatment of painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy of the feet is Rory Abrams, an expert neurologist and author of a recent high-concentration capsaicin 8% topical system review paper. Dr. Abrams was one of my trainees, and now we work together at Mount Sinai. Dr. Abrams and I will provide an in-depth overview of the STEP study design and data supporting the use of Cutenza for treating painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy, or PDPN, of the feet. Welcome, Rory. Hello, Dr. Simpson. Thank you for having me today. I'm really looking forward to speaking about the data supporting the use of Cutenza for painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy. The STEP study was designed to investigate the efficacy and safety of a single application of Cutenza for patients with diabetic peripheral neuropathy of the feet. I was hoping, Dr. Simpson, if you could provide some of the STEP study design details for our audience. Sure, my pleasure. Of course, the STEP study was a phase three randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, multi-centered trial. The patients that were randomized included type one and type two diabetics, 
Hemoglobin A1C was required to be 11 or less. Concomitant pain medications were permitted at stable doses. And the primary efficacy endpoint was the so-called numeric pain rating scale, the so-called NPRS, which required a mean of greater or equal to four for entry into the study. Now, patients were randomized to receive a single treatment with the capsaicin 8% topical system or an identical placebo patch that contained no capsaicin to the painful areas of the feet. As I've mentioned, the primary efficacy endpoint, the NPRS average daily pain score, was assessed over the previous 24 hours. And that is, in fact, a commonly used and validated outcome measure in many of these types of pain studies. As we know from other clinical trials and several authors, a pain reduction of 30 to 50% is considered clinically meaningful. Rory, can you please provide some insights as to what this 30% reduction in the NPRS means for your patients with painful diabetic neuropathy? For some of the patients that I'm currently treating, a 30% reduction in their pain has a big impact on their overall quality of life. Sometimes the pain in their feet is so severe that patients will limit the amount of water they drink just to avoid having to walk frequently to the bathroom. A 30% reduction in pain, for example, could mean that these patients have more freedom and more independence in their everyday lives and get a better night's sleep as well. So Dr. Simpson, I was curious about how does one actively go about blinding a study with a patch that has discernible side effects? Well, that is a real challenge. And in this trial, a different approach was taken, and that is using a true inactive placebo. Now, in order to do all possible to maintain the blinding, measures were taken, and specifically, physicians or nurses who conducted the clinical assessments and had responsibility for recording efficacy and safety data were independent from those carrying out the patch application and perhaps having access to the dermal assessments. I'd also like to take a closer look at the primary endpoint results, showing the mean percentage change from baseline in average daily pain scores throughout the study. There was a modest and statistically significant reduction in average daily pain from baseline to between weeks two through eight in the capsaicin group. The results were about a 30% improvement compared to placebo, which had only a 22% improvement. Analysis of change in average daily pain score from baseline became apparent at week two and was maintained throughout the end of the study week 12. These findings are of similar magnitude to the effects of other treatments with known efficacy in neuropathic pain, agents such as anticonvulsants and antidepressants, for example. The median time to onset of pain relief for Cutenza, 19 days, is faster than for treatments commonly prescribed in painful diabetic neuropathy. For example, pregabalin has a 36-day onset of pain relief. This observation helps support the use and recommendation of topical therapies for the treatment of peripheral neuropathic pain, particularly with the absence in systemic adverse effects. An interesting finding in this study was the duration of response after treatment in the placebo group. Rory, were you surprised by the magnitude of the placebo response? I think that the observed placebo response was not unexpected because in this study, patients in the capsaicin and the placebo groups 
both underwent a physical patch application. I think that experience of seeing the treatment application can induce a very large placebo response. Although a placebo patch without capsaicin was used in this study, the placebo response was also maintained for the full 12 weeks. This was an interesting finding in the study and is actually in line with recent analyses of placebo response in peripheral neuropathic pain studies, as you mentioned. However, the relative difference in pain reduction between the capsaicin group and the placebo group was 36% and well within the boundary of statistical significance in the primary analysis. I think it should also be noted that the efficacy was demonstrated regardless of concomitant use of other medications in both treatment groups. Well, thanks, Rory. And in fact, you highlight the challenge of pain studies in general, and that is the very variable and frankly unpredictable magnitude of placebo response. That's one of the reasons that so many pain studies fail because of an excess placebo response. And as one might imagine, when one is doing this physical application of a patch to the patient, that certainly may engender a significant placebo response. But in spite of that, the study was successful in separating efficacy of capsaicin from the placebo. And it's important, I think, for clinicians and patients to understand that virtually none of the treatments were providing obliterate pain to zero. And so whereas 30 to 50% may on its face seem modest, in fact, as you indicate, it can make major clinical differences for a patient's quality of life. In the STEP study, efficacy was demonstrated regardless of concomitant use of other medications. About half of the patients in the study were taking concomitant medications, including anticonvulsants, non-selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, antidepressants, or opioids at baseline, and were required to keep dosing stably throughout the duration of the study. Now, as I previously mentioned, the median time to treatment response with the capsaicin topical system was 19 days compared with 72 days with the placebo group. Now, in comparison to previously published post-herpetic neuralgia data, the time to treatment response occurred approximately one week later in the painful diabetic neuropathy patients. Now, Rory, from your capsaicin research, how would you explain the difference in time to treatment response between post-herpetic neuralgia and painful diabetic neuropathy patient populations? I think that's a really great question. I think although further research is needed to determine the exact reason for this difference, there are several factors that may help explain this observation. For one, patients with painful diabetic neuropathy may have a relatively reduced number of the transient vanilloid subtype 1 receptors. Ultimately, capsaicin is understood to lead to defunctionalization of surviving sensory nerve fibers, including activation of voltage-gated sodium channels and temporary reduction of epidermal and dermal nerve fiber terminals, which leads to decreased pain transmission. And so while this receptor, also known as TRPV1, is a prerequisite for the efficacy of capsaicin, the latter is mainly driven by an overexpression and distribution of voltage-gated sodium channels, and therefore a reduction of TRPV1 expressing nociceptors and or a reduction of expression of the TRPV1 receptors on these nerve fibers do not preclude a therapeutic effect of capsaicin. And I think one additional point is that patients with painful diabetic neuropathy are often treated with more than one oral medication. 
And while we consider many of these conventional medications used to be effective, oftentimes patients don't report a satisfactory pain response for weeks, months, or maybe ever. And I think the bigger issue is that it's often challenging to ever titrate the dosage of these systemic medications to a clearly effective level. And I frequently find my patients' use of these medications limited by tolerability or other medical factors. And I'm just curious, is that something that you've seen as well? Absolutely. We recognize that there's as much art to science in caring for patients. Of course, the goal is to reduce pain, but perhaps even more importantly, to improve quality of life. And we use not just a single approach, but often a multimodal approach. We live in an era of what some call rational polypharmacy, using combinations of agents, different mechanisms of action, different administration techniques to ultimately result in the best possible outcome, often combining pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic therapies. Now, historically, there were concerns about using capsaicin in patients with diabetic neuropathy, partly based on the concern of a reduced rate of nerve regeneration in patients with diabetes, with or without evidence of neuropathy, which may indicate abnormalities in peripheral nerve function even before symptoms develop. Rory, do you have any concerns about the use of an agent like capsaicin with its known effect on epidermal nerve fibers? in individuals who already have potential nerve fiber pathology. So what we've seen in terms of both safety and tolerability has actually been fairly consistent across multiple clinical trials, including the STEP study. Since this is a topical application system, there are few systemic adverse effects. In the STEP study, the skin application sites were pre-treated with local anesthetics to limit this discomfort and the patients were allowed to use additional oral pain medications if needed. I think my biggest concern, however, is ensuring that there are no apparent diabetic skin ulcerations or other lesions to the skin. And I think one other point one might consider is that capsaicin may lead to a further loss of sensory function in these patients. This is based on conceptually, the concern had been that if capsaicin leads to nociceptor defunctionalization, Might it be expected that patients with diabetes develop worsening sensory responses after treatment? In the STEP trial, the majority of patients had no changes in sensory perception and reflex testing following patch application. And in fact, a small proportion of patients experienced improvement in their sensory responses. Since this was only a 12-week study, there was also a separate open-label study that assessed the long-term safety and tolerability with repeat patch applications, along with the standard of care oral medications versus those standard of care medications alone over a period of 52 weeks in patients who had painful diabetic neuropathy. Well, Rory, I think you've highlighted the very reassuring data that have emerged both from the double-blind and the long-term open-label studies concerning safety. Certainly a theoretical concern with this agent, but one that has not borne out in terms of any concerns of worsening sensory function in this vulnerable population. The types of side effects one generally encounters with the capsaicin include application site reaction, the most frequent side effect being application site pain. There's a sense of burning pain in the extremity at the application site, but these are generally managed with local 
measures, including cooling, and they fairly rapidly resolve. Importantly, there were no drug-related serious treatment emergent adverse effects. Now, in my own clinic, as I mentioned earlier, we generally use an agent like Cutenza as add-on therapy in patients who've usually taken other pain medications, often first-line agents like anticonvulsants or antidepressants. And then we bring in Cutenza as yet another agent in our armamentarium to improve benefit. So Rory, to conclude, where do you see Cutenza fitting into your treatment algorithm for patients with confirmed painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy? Before being referred to a specialist, many patients with painful diabetic neuropathy will have already been prescribed one or more of these conventional medications. So at that point, I think it would be reasonable to discuss Cutenza within their treatment plan. And I actually believe most patients would be excited to try an additional therapy because unfortunately, the current outlook on treatment options for painful diabetic neuropathy is less than optimistic. The therapies are limited. The current options are not always effective. And the addition of something topical may be encouraging for patients. I think that all these patients should be counseled, that the capsation 8% topical system can provide improvement for pain relief. It's generally well-tolerated. It may improve their sleep quality, and it has no drug-drug interactions, and it does not contribute to worsening sensory function in the lower extremities. And while the expected efficacy may be similar to some of these more conventionally prescribed oral medication options, there's actually a lack of chronic systemic adverse effects seen compared with those agents where that's often a challenge that we have to deal with. Well, thank you, Rory, for that very nice perspective. With that, I'd like to thank my colleague, Dr. Rory Abrams, for joining me today in discussing an exciting advancement in the treatment of painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy with our REACH MD audience. Indication. Cutenza capsaicin, 8% topical system, is indicated in adults for the treatment of neuropathic pain associated with postherpetic neuralgia, or PHN, and for neuropathic pain associated with diabetic peripheral neuropathy, or DPN, of the feet. Important safety information. Do not dispense Cutenza to patients for self-administration or handling. Only physicians or healthcare professionals under the close supervision of a physician are to administer and handle Cutenza. When administering Cutenza, it is important to follow the procedures in the important dosage and administration instructions in the U.S. prescribing information. In patients treated for neuropathic pain associated with diabetic peripheral neuropathy of the feet, a careful examination of the feet should be undertaken prior to each application of Cutenza to detect skin lesions related to underlying neuropathy or vascular insufficiency. Contraindications. None. Warnings and precautions. Unintended exposure to capsaicin can cause severe irritation of the eyes, mucous membranes, respiratory tract, and skin in healthcare professionals, patients, and others. Healthcare professionals should ensure that the recommended procedures and protective measures are used when administering Cutenza. For healthcare professionals, wear nitrile gloves while administering Cutenza and avoid unnecessary contact with items in the room, including items that the patient may later have contact with, such as horizontal surfaces and bedsheets. Do not apply Cutenza to the patient's face, 
eyes, mouth, nose, or scalp to avoid risk of exposure to eyes or mucous membranes. Accidental exposure to the eyes and mucous membranes can occur from touching cutensa or items exposed to capsaicin and then touching the eyes and mucous membranes. If irritation of eyes or mucous membranes occurs, flush eyes and mucous membranes with cool water. Remove the affected individual, healthcare professional, or patient from the vicinity of cutensa. Aerosolization of capsaicin can occur upon rapid removal of cutensa. Therefore, remove cutensa gently and slowly by rolling the adhesive side inward. Inhalation of airborne capsaicin can result in coughing or sneezing. Administer cutensa in a well-ventilated treatment area. Provide supportive medical care if shortness of breath develops. If irritation of airways occurs, remove the affected individual from the vicinity of cutensa. If respiratory irritation worsens or does not resolve, do not re-expose the affected healthcare professional or patient to cutensa. If skin not intended to be treated is exposed to cutensa, apply cleansing gel for one minute and wipe off with dry gauze. After the cleansing gel has been wiped off, wash the area with soap and water. Patients may experience substantial procedural pain and burning upon application and following removal of cutensa. Prepare to treat acute pain during and following the application procedure with local cooling, such as a cold pack, and or appropriate analgesic medication. Transient increases in blood pressure may occur during and shortly after cutensa treatment. Blood pressure changes were associated with treatment-related increases in pain. Monitor blood pressure and provide adequate support for treatment-related pain. Patients with unstable or poorly controlled hypertension or a recent history of cardiovascular or cerebrovascular events may be at an increased risk of adverse cardiovascular effects. Consider these factors prior to initiating cutensa treatment. Reductions in sensory function have been reported following administration of cutensa. Decreases in sensory function are generally minor and temporary. All patients with pre-existing sensory deficits should be clinically assessed for signs of sensory deterioration or loss prior to each application of cutensa. If sensory deterioration or loss is detected or pre-existing sensory deficit worsens, continued use of cutensa treatment should be reconsidered. Adverse reactions. In all controlled clinical trials, adverse reactions occurring in greater than or equal to 5% of patients in the cutensa group and at an incidence of at least 1% greater than in the control group were application site erythema, application site pain, and application site pruritus. Adverse event reporting. Physicians, other healthcare professionals, and patients are encouraged to voluntarily report adverse events involving drugs or medical devices. To make a report, you can, in the U.S., visit www.fda.gov medwatch or call 1-800-FDA-1088. Or, for Cutenza, you may also call 1-877-900-6479 and select option 1, or press 0 on your keypad to talk to an operator to direct your call. Please visit cutenza.com to view the full prescribing information, including patient information. The preceding program was sponsored by Averitas Pharma. If you have missed any part of this discussion, visit ReachMD.com slash industry feature. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.